even though we've been taught that there were 10 plagues, when you look at these plagues, nine of them are warnings. The 10th one, it actually causes an effect, a death of the firstborn. But the other nine, they're just warnings. They're just God bringing warning, not only to the Egyptians, as we've also been taught, but to his own people. He wanted his people to understand and realize who the God of Israel was. That there was only one God. These all, all these pagan gods that were in, in Egypt at the time had nothing on God, on the true God of Israel. And we're going to see today the supremacy of God over every single one else. Even over the Nile, which was, which by the Egyptians was held at, at such a high status. As a matter of fact, the Nile had three gods. And God, with one word, defeated all three. With one plague, with one warning, made all the other gods look like nothing. Like they weren't even there. So again, these ten plagues, in reality, were nine plagues with a judgment on the tenth. Now, they were three sets of three each. You will see there, there, it's a pattern on these plagues. Even though we're not going to go into all of them, but as we go through them, I want you to write these notes so you can see what I'm talking about. Now, the first two plagues of every three came with a warning. The third one didn't. It only warned people so much. Ever heard that saying, the third one is a charm? Well, God said, I'm going to warn you once. You don't listen? Fine, I'm going to warn you a second time. You don't listen? Well, here comes the third one without any warning. So there is a pattern to these plagues. Three sets of three, the two coming with a warning, the third one without. And if we can think about it for a second, this happens in our lives. God warns us yeah. and warns us. Yeah. And we don't listen yeah. and we don't listen. And then when something happens, we say, but God, mm. I tried to warn you twice. You didn't pay attention. Come on. That's right. The third one just comes without any warnings. And I think the reason why we, we, we don't, we don't yeah. heed to these warnings is what I said earlier that we give more attention to our problems than we give to God. And it is impossible to listen to somebody when you're not even paying attention to that person. Because you're holding the problem at such a high value. That's what you do when you give attention to your problem. You know that? You hold it at a higher value than God. You give it more attention, so therefore God says, okay, well, I'm going to step back because maybe the problem seems to be bigger than me. But yet you're calling to me for help, but how can I help when you're holding the problem at such a high value? Remember, I'm a gentleman, says the Lord. I don't intervene, I don't interfere unless you ask me, but I need you to give me the value that I'm worth. Now these plagues didn't just happen overnight. Theologians believe that they were in a matter of somewhere between 10 to 12 months. So imagine these things consistently happening for almost a full year. You talk about people being hard-headed. 
These Egyptians were hard-headed. Pharaoh was very hard-headed. But so were the Israelites, as we've learned over the last couple of chapters, that they were okay in Egypt. They just didn't like the slavery part. That's all. So again, they happened over a matter of 10 to 12 years, finishing around the 15th of the month of Nisan, which as we know is the first month in the Hebrew calendar, which is the reason why after the last, or the judgment of the death of the firstborn, Pesach, or Passover, is celebrated, which happens in the month of Nisan. So these plagues did not happen in a week, they didn't happen in a month or in two months. It took almost a full year for the process of all these plagues to come about. And as a matter of fact, we're going to read today in chapter 7 that one of them itself, it took almost a week. The time frame of it. Now these plagues were categorized these three, in these three ways. The first one being external. The second one being internal. And the third one being external. Again. So it starts with an effect on the outside, then an effect on the inside, and then an effect again on the outside. Break it down for a second. The first one was the blood and the Nile, as we know. That was an outer, an external effect, something that the people saw. The second one would be the frogs. Remember, the frogs, they just didn't stay outside. They came inside. Spiritually speaking, the plague or the warning will come internally to us. Mm. It will give an internal effect in our bodies, in our spiritual life. Then the third one was an external, which was the boils, an effect on the skin, the outer part of our bodies. So we see external, internal, and external. When God does things, he does them in pattern. He does them repetitively for us to understand them. There's a pattern to everything that God does. And he does them for a reason. First is a visual. Remember, we spoke about this many, many weeks ago when we said that Thomas, when Yeshua returned in the upper room, he said, is it really you? And he says, do you need to see the scars in my hand, Thomas? Visual to us as humans, it's something very important. Even though the Bible says to walk by faith and not by sight, some of us walk by sight and not by faith. If we can be honest. Until you don't show me, God, I can't believe. Until I don't see it come to fruition. Until I don't see it come to pass in my life. I, I'm sorry, I just, it just doesn't fit my mind. So God says, okay, I'll start with an external pledge. With an external warning. So you can see who I am. But not only is it going to be external. I'm going to attack the highest God in Egypt. I'm going to go after the most powerful one. And it's not just one. It's three of them in one. And I'm going to show you how powerful I am. My supreme power over everything. Because I am the creator of the heavens and the earth. And I'm going to show you that these gods that you worship have nothing on me. And so he goes straight after the Nile, turns it into blood. But we're going to see something later on. We're going to see why the hardening of the heart of Pharaoh. We're going to see why the doubt of the Egyptians. Why the doubt of the Hebrews. Even though God was showing 
Matter of fact, he says he will multiply these miracles and wonders. The same way he multiplies them in our lives. Yet we still doubt. You know what doubt causes? Rejection. Wow. When you doubt God, it causes rejection in your life. You experience rejection through deception. The enemy will deceive you in certain ways, and through that deception, you experience you reject the word of God, you reject the presence of God, and you reject the blessings of God. Because you don't believe them. You're believing more in everything else because you're physically seeing it. But we're gonna learn in this chapter that the enemy, all he does is just duplicate things. That's right. You know those copyright lawsuits? They were invented because of him. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Exodus 7. I would, before I get to Exodus 7, I want to touch on two key points from last week, which I think they're very, very good for us to, to remember. If you weren't here, then definitely want to pay attention. Remember that God sent back Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh after Pharaoh had completely said, uh-uh. I have no idea who this God of Israel is. I'm not letting anybody go. Oh. Bye. Leave my presence. So Moses goes back to, remember back to God complaining, oh, you know, why did you send me over there if you knew he wasn't going to listen to me? And he begins to argue with God. And, and remember, I was like, who is Moses to even argue with God? You're not. God didn't send you for you to understand his plan. He just sent you for you to obey the plan. That's it. Simple as that. And so we see Moses and Aaron come back complaining. Oh, you know, Pharaoh didn't listen to me. Here God is saying, all I need you to do is just trust in me. It's all part of my master plan. Yeah, trust me. Amen. The rejection is part of my master plan. I knew he was going to do that. Don't you remember Moses that I told you that his heart will be hardened? That's right. Don't you remember that? But we also saw something very important and very significant. And it was the importance of God's personal name. And if you remember, by just changing one name last week, I believe it was verse 2, that all our versions, for the most part, say Lord. But that wasn't God's personal name. Lord was Pharaoh. Pharaoh was considered a Lord. The pagan gods of Egypt were considered lords. But the personal name of God was Yahweh. Amen. And when we change that, in that second verse, it, I mean, it just completely changed that scripture. It truly showed us the significance and the importance of translations. How we lose so much. Yeah. And how so much has been lost over the years. That is the reason why a lot of us have questions. This just doesn't make sense. Does the word of God contradict itself? No. The word of God doesn't contradict itself. It's the, the translations over the years that have missed so much. To simplify scripture, for us to understand it, when God said, I made it simple enough, if you would just read it in its original text. And would ask, would ask me just for the revelation of it. I'll give it to you. I don't need you to change words. By changing words, what we do is, is manipulate the word of God. 
He said, don't add nor take away from my word. Remember, at the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, that's exactly what Eve did. That's right. She added. When the serpent asked the question, she added. God had never said that. She manipulated the word of God, therefore falling into sin. So we see the importance of God's personal name and how translations have missed so much. And so I said times before that in my house, there is about, if I tell you 15 Bibles, I think I might be short. Wow. Every other week, for some reason, I get a package in my front door from Amazon. Yeah, you might be short. Um, I think Jeff Bezos is about to give me a call and say, you're one of my most preferred customers <laughs> of so many packages I receive from Amazon. But you would think they're different things. But no, this is Bible after Bible after Bible after Bible. They're study Bible. And a couple of weeks ago, yeah, every Bible is a study Bible. A couple of weeks back, I had somebody call me and say, um, Pastor, you know, you mentioned a couple of words in Hebrew. Which version were you using? And I said, well, when I sit to study, I like to compare different versions, different translations. I don't just study off of one. And so even though I nag about these 15 Bibles and I complain about these packages <laughs> that are draining my bank account. <laughs> They're very useful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I was able to share with this person where I was getting the information from. I was able to give him some pointers and, and, some, and some references. And, uh, and he was able to go and check that out. Okay. So You're welcome. Um, <laughs> the importance of, of having different versions and uh, different translations when you sit down to study, it really helps a lot. Um, it really breaks down and it helps you compare scripture uh, from one to the other. And when you see, it, it was it was funny because, see the name out of all translations, I never thought it would be in there, but actually the name of Yahweh, uh, as I was studying chapter six last week, was found in the NLT version, which is New Living Translation, which actually is one of the most simplified translations. Not even the TLV or, 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 or the, um, or the Jewish Bible also had Adonai or Lord as a translation, okay, yeah. which really kind of took me back by that. Yeah. But as I kept studying, I kept comparing, comparing, and comparing. Finally, came across the NLT, which was God's personal name. It wasn't Adonai. It wasn't Lord. It was Yahweh. Mm-hmm. So I was a little taken back by that. But it goes to show you as you study and you pull out all these Bibles. You have to be very careful of the translation. Guys, we will miss so much because, again, of how much these Bibles have tried to simplify things that they've actually removed so many important things in Scripture. That's the reason why the church itself is even lost at times in Scripture. They don't know how to defend themselves. They don't even know what the Word says. NIV, NIV for everything. And I've even missed so much, honestly. So again, we saw the importance of God's personal name. We saw that God sent back Moses and Aaron last week, even though they kept complaining. And again, so chapter 7, again, continues the conversation. 
So without further ado, let's go to chapter 7 in Exodus. And we're going to read verse 1 and 2. And I'm going to show you something in verse 1 that we can actually draw a full-blown sermon just off of verse 1. I mean, I was here earlier and I was just kind of putting my fingers and I'm going like this. And they're like, oh, he's preparing fire. And I was, I was just so excited because off of verse 1 alone, there's a sermon. So go with me to Exodus chapter 7. We're going to read verse 1 and 2 and then I'll recap and I'll break that down for us. Again, I encourage you guys, please take notes. If you're watching online, take notes. There's a lot of good information I'm going to share with you guys this morning. Amen? Amen. Exodus 7, verse 1 says, So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of this Land. Now I want to pause there for a second. I want you to look at verse 1 again. And I'm going to read it to you. And I'm going to give you the right translation in the Hebrew context, the original context of it. And please don't miss this. Look what it says. It says, So the Lord, God the Father, Yahweh, yes, yes. said to Moses, Think about what I'm about to read. I've made you as God to Pharaoh. God the head says to Moses, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. God, Moses is an illustration here in verse 1 of Joshua. You see, son, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. And Aaron will be your prophet. Who was the prophet of Joshua before he even came about? Who was speaking of his coming? John the Baptist. In verse 1, we see an illustration of God the Father... Speaking of his son, making him as God over Pharaoh and over all, in other words. And Aaron representing John the Baptist of the coming of his son. Wow. So just in the first verse, we see God establishing an order of supremacy, of supreme power over Pharaoh. I don't care how hard his heart may be. I don't care who he thinks that he is. I'm going to show you, Moses, because I'm going to make you as God over Pharaoh. And, and Aaron, or, or John the Baptist, is going to speak of who you are. And, and what you're doing is basically what I'm sending you to do. So in verse 1, we see supremacy already by God the Father. Pharaoh saying, who is this God of Israel? God is about to show who he is. He's establishing. He's being nice. I'm showing you right now in words. I'm going to show you in a second in actions. But we see in verse 1 and 2 that God doesn't lose his patience. Remember, Moses had continued to complain. God doesn't lose his patience. Not only that, if we remember in the previous chapter, Moses had tried to manipulate God in his word when he says, how can you use me? I am a man of uncircumcised 
lips. In other words, I am a sinful man. Why would you use a sinful man to bring forth deliverance to your people? And I showed you guys last week, I gave you an example that if we really go by that, then none of us would be worthy. Mm-hmm. We're all sinful. We're all sin daily. We all fall short of the glory of God every single day. But God is so merciful and so Amen. graceful Amen. that he still uses us. Not because he needs us. Don't misunderstand. Not because he needs you in any way, shape, or form. It's because he wants to. He wants to, it pleases him to use you. Why? Because he created you. Amen. And he's giving you the privilege to be used by him. So when God tells you to do something, don't come up with excuses like Moses did. Because what you're doing is rejecting God. You're pushing away the presence of God and embracing the deception of the enemy. We see here in verse 1 and 2 God's riches and mercy on full display. As we know that Moses had been so unworthy, full of complaints, full of excuses, even arguing with God, trying to manipulate God himself. But yet we see the mercy of God on full display on verse 1. Amen? Amen. Let's continue to read verse 3. And it says, And will... And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Again, this wow. has just been repetitive. Yes, yes, you know, on. this has happened. We've seen this in the last couple of chapters. This is just basically God reminding yes. Moses yeah. what he spoke about two previous chapters. That's all he's doing here. Just in case you forgot Moses, here, let me remind you again. I think some of us need to re- be reminded a lot of things uh, of who God is in our lives, yeah. right? Amen. I-, I think God does something for us. And he brings forth a miracle or answers a prayer or a petition that we may have. And yet a month goes by and we forget about who God is. A new problem arises, forget about it. God can get me through this one without realizing that the last one you probably had was actually bigger yeah. than the one you're embracing right at this moment. Remember I said last week, we make small problems bigger. Big problems? Yeah. And big problems even bigger? Yeah. It's in our nature to do that. But God says, I'm bigger than all those things. Amen. Don't worry about it. I'm aware yeah. of the problems. I got you through the last one. I'm going to get you through this one. Trust and obey. Except the Lord. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply. Listen to what he says. And multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Yes, come on. Just in case you forgot the last signs and wonders, Moses. Since I am God over all, since I am the God of Israel. I'm going to multiply them. I'm going to multiply my signs and my wonders. Just in case you forgot. Just in case you don't think they're enough. As I've shown already. You want more? I'm going to give you more. So not only you will be satisfied or convinced. But so will Aaron. Since he is your prophet. So will Pharaoh. Even though his heart is hardened. So will all the Egyptians. And so will all the Hebrews. Because remember. All these warnings. And these signs and miracles and wonders that were happening, again, they weren't just for the Egyptians. Yes, God wanted the Egyptians, because remember, the Egyptians are the what? Gentiles. Mm -hmm. He wanted his people to be saved and be released from Egypt. 
But he was offering salvation to anybody else that wanted it. Says, I don't want to leave the Egyptians behind. Yes, they're involved in all this idolatry and, and all these pagan gods. But yes, hey, listen, so were we at one point in time. So he says, listen, salvation, it's not just for my people. It's for everyone that wants to receive it. So these warnings are a general warning. I need all of you to pay attention. Because if you choose to believe, if you choose to trust me, you're going to come out of this land as well. And actually, we're going to see later on in, in Exodus that it says that there was a, a mixture of multitude that came out of Egypt. It wasn't just the Hebrews that came out. It was the Egyptians that came out. Here we see the unity between the people and the Jews, between Ephraim and Judah, being grafted in and becoming one nation. This happened way back in the Torah. That's why the Torah is the foundation to everything else. There's nothing new in the New Testament. It's a repetitive of the, what God established in the beginning. Amen. That's all it is. Don't make it seem like it's something new. There's a pattern, guys. It's a pattern. Now again, God did not harden the heart of Pharaoh. If you weren't here, I explained that. I'm going to explain it again. God did not harden the heart of Pharaoh. It was simply the evil inclination that was within Pharaoh. That's all it was. So he surrendered him into his own sin. The evil inclination that was in the heart of Pharaoh to want to do wrong, to want to do bad to the Hebrews, that inclination, God said, okay, fine. If that's what you have in your heart, if that's what you really want, have it. That should be alarming. Yeah. Think about that for a second. That should be very alarming to us. Because if we have any of that within our hearts, God will give it to you. If that's what you really want. You're not excluded from this. He may not want to give it to you because he loves you so much, but guess what? If that's what you really want, have it your way. What's that, like burking? Have it your way? <laughs> that should be very alarming, guys. That's the reason why we need to search our heart. David used to do it all the time. Yeah. Search my heart, God. If there's anything in there that is not pleasing, remove it. Get rid of it. I don't care how much I'm trying to hold on to it. Get rid of it. Because I know this is not pleasing to you. And I know in time if, this, if I continue to persist that this is what I want, you're going to give it to me. And in reality, it's not what I want. I just don't know how to let go of it. I'm struggling with this. Well, guess what? I don't want to struggle with it anymore. Take it away. That is when you truly surrender to God. That is when you truly surrender to God. When you tell God, just take it. I don't care how much pain it causes me at first, but I know, you know what? In the long run, it's going to be beneficial for me. Amen. It's going to be better for me because it's no longer part of me. Yes. Those chains have been broken. Those bondages Amen. that have held me for so long yes. are no longer part of who I am. Amen. Amen. And I am thankful for that, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. 
the question again is, can this be applied to people nowadays? And the answer is yes. yes. God will give people what they truly want if they're adamant about rejecting him. Mm -hmm. Remember, rejection, a lot of the rejection that we do is through deception. We are deceived, we are lied to. And because we're lied to and we give in to those lies, we reject God. Mm. We reject Him through excuses, through our, our issues that we go through in life. We make Him bigger than who God is. That's rejecting God. Yeah. That's rejecting Scripture. Because the Scripture is contrary to any of those things that you come across. Scripture says you can't get over it. You're more than a conqueror. Yeah. God is on your side. Yeah. He will get you through it. If he started in your life, he's surely faithful to finish. All these things, all these promises that God gives us is contrary to everything that you go through in life and all the deception from the enemy. But we give in to, so easily to it. It's at, at times as if we were like the Israelites. We're comfortable in our misery. It's just maybe one thing that we don't really like. Have you ever thought about that? We're comfortable in the misery that we may in because we know how to control it to Come some on. point. Wow. It's just one thing that we don't really like that kind of keeps us hindered or, or stagnant in life. If I could just get over this, I don't care about the rest of the misery. I'm okay with that. I can control it. When God says, no, I don't want you to live in misery. I don't want you to live like my people used to live. I want you to live in freedom. Amen. I have come to set you free and free indeed. Amen. Not halfway. Now again, this should scare us, guys. Of this being in our heart, this should really scare us. Hence the reason why scripture says two-thirds of the world will be struck down and not saved. Look at Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8. Everything's in scripture. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8. It says, And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. If you have evil inclination in your heart, get rid of it. Let it go. Because otherwise, unfortunately, you're going to be part of this two-thirds. And we don't have time to waste. Come on. We don't have time to waste. We've been talking about this for quite a bit of time now. If you see this whole pandemic and all this stuff that's going around, these are signs of the end times. They are written in the Bible. All these pestilence and all this stuff that will come in the end of times. There are pastors out there that says, oh, it's just a, it's just a pandemic. We'll get through it. It's biblical. That's right. Wake up. It's biblical. Yeah. Too many people are trying to brush it under the rug Come like on. it's just some pandemic. Whoa, we'll get to it. Get the vaccine. It's biblical. Yeah. Now, to some point, we can understand the frustration of Pharaoh and maybe why he didn't want to let go of the people. 
During this time, it said that the population of Egypt was somewhere about 10 to 12 million. The Hebrews made up about 2 to 3 million of that population. They went into Egypt with 70. Talk about being fruitful. Oh, they multiplied. God said multiply. They took that to heart. They multiplied. Everything was given to them. But how quickly they forgot. Yeah. You remember when they went into Egypt, they were put in Gershon. The best land of Egypt. Even the Egyptians in the midst of, of the famine were starving. While the Hebrews were prospering. How quickly they forget the God of Israel. How quickly they forget about Yahweh. So we can understand to some point that Pharaoh says, well, Moses, you're asking me for two to three million Hebrews or 25% of the population of Egypt to just get up and go to the wilderness for three days to pray to the God of Israel, which I have no idea who this God is. Think about it for a second. How about if two-thirds, I mean, 25% uh, of the population will all of a sudden say, you know what? We're not returning back to Egypt. I'm leaving to Canaan. That's my promised land. Yeah, come on. There will be an economic crisis in Egypt. Because these were everyday workers. These were the ones that were building all the buildings and everything else that Pharaoh wanted in Egypt. The Egyptians were just telling them what to do. The slave masters, remember? Yeah. They were the ones saying, okay, you know what? Now you don't have no straw, but you still have to produce the same amount of bricks. Because your boy over there, Moses, defied our God. Remember, they, <laughs> they turned and said, they said, Moses, really? Get out of here. What are you doing to us? Yeah. I hope you're judged. Come on. Remember that? His own people wow. rejected him? Why? Why did his own people reject him? Because they had forgotten who he was. They had forgotten who Moses was sent by. Doesn't that remind you of somebody? That was rejected by his own. Why? Because they had forgotten who sent him. Come on. So again, we can kind of give Pharaoh the benefit of a doubt that they, 25% of the population leaves. There'll be an economic crisis. Imagine 25% of the population in the United States were to say, you know what, we're not working for three days. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Everyday people, firefighters, police officers, construction workers, everyday people would just say, you know, we're, not gonna, we're gonna go and hang out for three days. <laughs> we're gonna take a three-day vacation, we're not gonna work for three days. Oh, by the way, we're not just going to take a three-day vacation. We're leaving permanently. There will be such an economic crisis in the United States that this country will never recover from that. The most rich, the richest country in the world will not recover from something like that. So we can kind of give Pharaoh a benefit of a doubt of maybe doubting because, again, he didn't know who this God of Israel was. He was being truthful. He was being honest. Moses, I don't know who this God is. God was about to show him who he was. But from God's point of view, he mentions that he will multiply the signs and wonders to show Pharaoh who he was and see if he would change his mind. 
this is the same thing that God does to us. He multiplies signs, he multiplies wonders to see if we change our mind of who truly God is. Because I think sometimes we belittle God. As if he can and cannot do things. No, God can do all things. Amen. You don't pick and choose what God can do. Fine. God picks and chooses what he can do for you. When he wants to do them for you. And how and, how and why he wants to do all those things for you. You don't pick and choose the things that you want God to handle and the ones you don't want God to handle. No, it's either you give them all or you don't give them anything. That's called being lukewarm. My wife spoke about that in the fourth portion this week. That's being called lukewarm. And we know what Revelation says about lukewarm. Mm -hmm. Again, God was in control. He was about to show his supremacy over Pharaoh and Egypt. Let's continue to read chapter 7, verse 4 to 7. It says, But Pharaoh will not heed you, here again, it's God telling Moses, Pharaoh will not hear you, will not heed you, he will not listen to you, so that I may lay my hands on Egypt, oh boy, and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgment. Mm. Enough playing nice. I'm gonna give you some warnings, but the judgment will come. Yeah. Mm. Verse 5, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. God knew from the beginning that Pharaoh would not listen nor comply right away to Moses' demands which came from God. He knew it. This that he's speaking here has been spoken already in previous two chapters. He knew it. But eventually, Pharaoh was going to have to give in. Eventually, we can fight all we want, yeah. but eventually we're going to have to give in. Amen. And so I encourage you to give in sooner than later. The more you battle with what God is asking you to do, the more you lose, the more it hurts. When you truly surrender to God, there are some things that are going to hurt. I'm not going to lie to you. You are going to go through some things because the Bible doesn't say anywhere that everything is going to be just peachy and flowers. That's why those superficial messages and those Everything's going to be great and all that stuff. That's not accurate. I'm sorry. That's wrong doctrine. Sorry to tell you. That's just giving you a pat on the back. Come back next week. Uh, through your misery, through the following week. Come back next week. I'll give you another pat on the back. And you can come back the following week and so on and so on. That's not helping you. How is that helping you get over your problems? How is that helping you to, to build yourself up as a believer, as a disciple? That doesn't help you. We need to be face to face with the truth. The truth hurts sometimes, and we can be honest. But the truth helps us build our character up. The same way God knows from the beginning who is going to comply, 
yet he is compassionate and shows signs and wonders, but some people allow their hearts to be hardened, therefore not experiencing the greatest gift of all, salvation. He knows from the beginning. That's why scripture says that two-thirds are not going to be saved. He knows. He knows from the beginning, unfortunately. We have an evil inclination and a good inclination. Did you know that? It's a whole separate study. But just something to think about. Otherwise, what's the point of free will? Think about that. Why would you have free will if you had nothing to choose but good? If everything was good, and all there was to choose was good, why would God give you free will? He would just tell you, choose. Choose, 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 choose. Everything is good. But God is so good and so merciful and so smart above what anything we can actually imagine. He gives us free will. Because within us there's an evil inclination, unfortunately. And again, that's a whole separate study that we'll go to another day. Previously, Pharaoh had claimed he didn't know who the God of Israel was. And he was saying the truth. He was being honest. He didn't know this God. Well, God was about to show him who he was. These signs were not only for the Hebrews, but also for the Egyptians. The multiplication of these signs and wonders was for everyone. Again, this was another form of offering salvation. For those that wanted to believe, kind of how it is today. Think about it. They are not only for God's chosen people. This is not only for God's chosen people. It is for you and me, for the Gentiles. For those that want to believe, for those that want to trust God, so they can be grafted into the commonwealth of Israel. That's right. And it can experience all of these things, all of these promises through salvation. That's simply what it is. The same way it was given to the Egyptians, which were the Gentiles, and the Hebrews, God's chosen people, given today to the Jews, God's chosen people, and to the Gentiles, you and I. It's the same thing. Therefore, creating one nation. What the national anthem, One Nation Under God? The grafting, guys. The grafting. Wow. The grafting. It's been established since the beginning of time, even in this nation. Yet, through all the years, the translation or the manipulation through deception has drawn people away from God. We also read about the difference in age. We see that Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83. If you guys remember when we spoke about Jacob and Esau in the book of Genesis, that it wasn't the first one out of the womb, the, the more prominent one. It was the one that God chose to be the prominent one. Now this went against the status quo of that era because the oldest one would be the one that would inherit everything from the father. And we saw this in the life of Jacob and in the 12 tribes 
when Jacob went to give the blessing of the firstborn, that he skipped a bunch of people. Reuben was like, yeah, that is kicking the bucket. Everything's coming to me. Well, that said, not you, not you, not you. Simeon, gone. Levi, you're so so. You be the, the Levi. You're not going to inherit anything, but you'll inherit some land. Now, Judah. Mm. Come on. You are up. You're worthy. Remember, though, Judah was the one that came up with the idea mm-hmm. of the killing and everything else, of the setting. But yet, we see the mercy of Amen. God. That's what you call mercy. Yeah. That's what you truly call mercy. That even going against one of his own, God said, you're still worthy in my eyes. Listen, I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care what you did this morning. God wants you to know that you're still worthy. Like that song said earlier, there's room for error. He's not calling you to be perfect. We're going to make mistakes daily. But what he does want is for you to get up, dust yourself off, repent of your mistakes, and continue to walk. That's what he wants. That's what he's looking for. Amen? Amen. Let's continue to read. Exodus 7, verse 8 to 13. And it said, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves. Here's, again, Pharaoh's going to come, and he's going to ask Moses and Aaron, I need you to prove yourself. You say you come from, in behalf of the God of Israel, well, I need you to prove yourself. Show me. God knew. He's telling Moses ahead of time. Listen, Pharaoh's going to ask you to do this. Show a miracle for yourselves. Then you shall say to Aaron, Prophet, take your rod, cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt, and they also did in a like manner with their enchantments. Verse 12. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard and did not heed them as the Lord had said. Stop for a second there. Back in Exodus 4, the signs and wonders that Moses had brought were for the elders, were for the elders or or the leaders of the Hebrews. The signs and wonders that Moses is bringing forth now are direct to Pharaoh. First, I came for my people, and they rejected me. Now I'm coming for the Gentiles, hoping they won't reject me. And I'm going to show you my signs and wonders. I'm going to multiply them. The miracle here of the staff becoming a serpent was of great significance. I need you to understand. Please don't miss this. If we remember this, it was a symbol of rulership in Egypt. As a matter of fact, Pharaoh wore it on his head. If you remember, Pharaoh, during this time, wore like a turban-like on top of his head. And the symbol for 
Egypt of power of rulership was a serpent, was actually a cobra. That's why in previous chapters, the word serpent, it's a little bit different than the word serpent here. When you study this, the word serpent here is the Hebrew word tanin, spelled T-A-N-N-I-N. It's a larger snake, a different like type snake, one with bigger scales, actually a weird form of a snake. The serpent that was spoken about before was just a regular serpent. That's why when Moses told Aaron, cast your rod to the floor, this serpent-like was much bigger, greater than the serpents of these sorcerers and magicians. And so what happened? They said, okay, fine. You cast these little worms or whatever it is you want to cast. I'm going to show you what my serpent does. And what does the serpent do? Swallows the rest. Through this miracle, God was showing supremacy. Through this miracle, God knew ahead of time that these sorcerers were capable of duplicating what was about to take place. But what they did not understand is that this serpent-like or this tanin was going to be larger, bigger than they expected and therefore was going to swallow up their so-called you call them garden snakes. They never stood a chance. Yet, please don't miss this. Yet in the midst of all this, Pharaoh still is not faced. Still doesn't believe this God of Israel. Still doesn't want to acknowledge the supremacy of God. He was deceived. Wow. He was deceived because of the duplication. Listen, we are the same. Yeah. We are deceived because of the duplication of what the enemy does. Sorry to tell you, but the enemy does have powers to do things as well. But all he could do is duplicate. He can never make it greater. He can never fix the problem. All he causes is destruction. Destruction and deception. Mm. Yet you and I need to have be a little bit wiser mm. and use discernment, discernment when it's from God and when it's from the enemy. Amen. It will almost be a picture like, but never perfect. Yes. Mm-hmm. Amen. It will always have a flaw. Look for that flaw. And you will know who's painting wow. the picture for you. Right. Mm-hmm. Pharaoh didn't bother to look for the flaw. He just went with it. My magicians, my sorcerers can do it. You know what? This God of Israel is no different. They can be, he can be duplicated. It's just like any regular God in Egypt. Remember what they used to do in Egypt. If you didn't like the God, get rid of him. Get another one. So we see that the enemy doesn't miss the beat. Right? He copies the miracle that Moses brings forth through the staff. But that's just what it was. It was a copy. And therefore creates doubt of Pharaoh. And since his heart was already hardened, he brushes it off. But again, Pharaoh missed the key point, which was the swallowing of the snakes. And I think sometimes we miss that key point in Scripture. We read the story and we miss what just took place. This wasn't just an ordinary snake eating the other snakes. This was God showing supremacy over any other power that was within Egypt. 
You can try to duplicate it. You can try to bring forth any, any, any dark magic, but I'm going to show you. Mine is a miracle. Wow. There's a difference. Mine is a miracle. Yours is a deception. Yours is a duplication. There's no miracle in that. How do I solve the problem? How do I fix it? How do I show you that? That mine is greater? Eat them up. Swallow all the snakes. Again, this shows power and dominance from God. Charles Spurgeon preached a message that says, The power of Aaron's rod. Go listen to it when you get a chance. In which he describes God's power to be supreme and able to swallow up any idols or Come sins on. in our lives. Come on. Come on, somebody. Able to swallow up any idols or sins in our lives. That's what God can do. He's willing and he's able to do so. Any idols that you may that you may have, any sins that you may be experiencing, he can swallow those things up. He can erase them away from your life. Amen. But what he needs from you is surrender. Amen. Not because he can't defeat you in the midst of your pagan worship or, or, or your sins. Not because he can't do that. But because he's a gentleman. He doesn't take things by force. Same patience he's showing here Moses and Aaron. It's the same patience he shows us. Amen. Come on, if we can be honest. Mm -hmm. How many times has God asked us to do things and just we just say no? Or hey, oh, that seems too hard. I'm comfortable here. I can control my atmosphere. Again, I'm, I can control my misery. I'm good. I just need you to change this, God. It's just this little bitty thing that bothers me. God says, no, it's everything or nothing. The so-called miracles of magic that the sorcerers brought were all part of Satan's plan. And I love because the Apostle Paul writes about this. Go with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. Everything's in Scripture. That's right. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 9 through 12. It'll be up here on the screen as well, guys. It's right after Colossians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 through 12 says, The coming of the lawless one, mm. aka Satan, is according, I mean, uh, of the lawless one, the devil, it's according to the works of Satan. Here, it tells you right quick. With all power, signs, and lying wonders. Wow. It doesn't say wonders. It says lying wonders. He wants to be very specific about it, just in case you miss it. Lying wonders. And with all unrighteous what? Deception. Deception. Among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth, mm. that they might be saved. Mm. Wow. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion wow. that they should believe the lies. Mm. This is what he did to Pharaoh's heart. Wow. Wow. 
This is exactly what he did to Pharaoh's heart. You want to believe a lie? Fine, Pharaoh. Have it your way. You want to continue to believe the lie? That it's just about grace? Fine. Have it your way. But it's grace and truth. Yeah. Nowhere in the Bible are you going to say that grace sets you free. It doesn't say that. Truth sets you free. We live under the grace of God, yes. but it's the truth that sets you free. Because they not believe the love of the truth that they may be saved, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusions, and then they should be, and that they should believe the lies. Verse twelve, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. More straightforward than that, it doesn't get. I'm sorry to say. And that's scripture. New Testament. New Testament. That's right. Quoting the beginning of the book. Wow. There's nothing new. It's a pattern. And the greatest apostle of all writes about it. Come on. Did you know that half of the New Testament wasn't even the New Testament yet when Paul was writing it? That's right. Did you know that? So what was Paul quoting? Where was he getting his information from? The Torah. The beginning of the book, because it was the only thing that was written. God always has, and is, and will always be supreme over all. Amen. That is the reason why he's called El Shaddai, God Almighty. Now let's begin with the plagues. Exodus 7. <laughs> That's just the appetizer. We got comfortable chairs for a reason. Right? <laughs> got comfortable chairs for a reason. I'm not going to take too long again. I'm going to leave it open ending because we're going to continue. It's three weeks of this. This is just the beginning. This is just the appetizer. Back to Exodus chapter 7, verse 14 through 18. You guys with me so far? Amen. It says, so the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water. This is, again, this, this, when you study this, this was something that Pharaoh used to do on, on an everyday basis. Yes. This was just a tradition for him. He would leave the castle or he would leave his place and he would go to the Nile. Remember, the Nile was held at a very high value to the Egyptians. So to bathe in the Nile was something worthy for, for, for Pharaoh, but he was pleasing the gods. Yeah, wow. So God knew about this, and he said, you're going to intercept him on the way to the water. <laughs> and before he takes a shower, <laughs> you're going to do something to the water. He's going to have no choice but to remain stanking. <laughs> he says, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the riverbank to meet him. Intercept. Just stand by the riverbank. And the rod, which was turned to a serpent, or to a tanin, as we know, you shall take it in your hand, and you shall say to him, The Lord, God of the Hebrews, the one that you've been saying that you don't know anything about, is about to show you who he is. That's just my slang that I just put in there. The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you saying, let my people go, 
that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, by this, the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the plagues of God, the warnings of God. Maybe now, Pharaoh, you will listen. I've been nice up to now. I haven't done anything to you, to your people. I've just been asking you nicely. Let my people go for three days. Now it's time for me to show you who I am. By this, excuse me, you shall know that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod, and that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Bam. <laughs> you think your now God is, is bad? I'm going to show you who's bad. Oh, you want to go take a shower? My bad. Wash him bloody. Wash him bloody if you want to be cleansed. Amen. Amen. <laughs> you see, Pharaoh, I'm not doing anything bad to you. I'm actually helping you. I'm actually doing something good for you. You want to read break out of your idolatry? You want to read break out of your sins? Bathe in the blood. Yes. Wow. That is what's going to cleanse you. But Pharaoh goes, I don't know. Wow. Heart was hardened. He didn't realize what was actually in front of him. Salvation was right in front of him. Yes. But what, what happened? Yeah. He was so far away from it because his heart was so hardened yeah. that he realized the miracle that was right in front of his eyes. Yeah. True. He didn't realize the blessing that was right in front of his eyes. Yeah. These plagues have always been taught to be geared towards Pharaoh. But did you know that they were also warnings to the Hebrews as the rest of the Egyptians? Yeah. By God turning the now into blood first yes he was showing supremacy and that he was above the mm -hmm. god of the nile but he was also showing salvation mm -hmm. yes. through to pharaoh and to, to all the egyptians that lived in egypt wow. not only was he showing salvation to the gentiles which we can refrain to them as, as gentiles he was also showing the hebrews god's chosen people you have strayed away, but through my blood, you will come back to me. I need you to see what's right in front of you. This is not just to kill the fish in the Nile. This is not just to show that I am more powerful than the God of the Nile. There's so much more revelation here. Don't miss it. Don't miss it, Pharaoh. Don't miss it, Egyptians. Don't miss it, Gentiles. Don't miss it, my people. I've always been here. And I will always be here. Hallelujah. Here we see God again showing salvation to Pharaoh. But because of the hardening of the heart, Pharaoh refuses refuses to bathe 
and the blood or the water of the mouth. Verse 19 to 21 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch it out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams. Listen to this. Please don't miss it. Because we thought it stopped in the Nile. It doesn't stop in the Nile. Stretch a hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams, over the rivers, over their palms, and over all their pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and in pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of his servants. And the water that were in the rivers were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died, the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the waters of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. I need you to see what it says at the end of verse 19. Because we think that the blood was just in the Nile. But God struck all the waters of Egypt. So just in case the Egyptians had any water in their house, in buckets, as it says there, let's read it. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. Just in case anybody had any water in their house, whether buckets or pitchers of stone, guess what? That water was going to become blood as well. You know what God was doing here? He was making himself personal. See, when I can show you in the Nile, external, I can show it to everybody. But when I bring it inside to your buckets and to your pictures of stone, I'm making my salvation personal. Wow. Isn't salvation independent? He was showing through these pictures and these buckets of stone that were filled with water. He's saying, my salvation will even extend to your homes, to your households. Because I am that type of God. I am a personal God. And my salvation stands to that point. So therefore, I want everybody else to see. I want the sorcerers and the magicians to see. But those of you that did not come out to see the Nile, my salvation extends to your house. I am so merciful and so good that I want you to be saved. So whatever water you have in your house, I'm going to turn it to blood. I want to make myself personal. I want to make myself known. I want you to also notice that the God that you serve or the God that you hold value, that there's no comparison to me. Yeah. I am greater than those gods. I am greater than those idols. The first plague we see God go straight at one of the prized possessions of Egypt, the Nile River. Again, this was something the Egyptians held at a very high value. This was probably the most supreme god to the Egyptians. Because again, there was three gods in the Nile. This was not only their main source of water, but again, the Nile was considered a godland. So God goes straight for the source. Because he wants to show them that he is the only source. Amen. Again, 
showing supremacy, but also in a sense showing the accuracy and revelation of Scripture as we see it. Go with me to John 4:14. 4, Come on, Lord. Everything back <laughs> to Scripture. John 4:14. 4, Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. You hold the now as a high value. The now representing water. Mm. Well, I'm glad you hold the now because I also hold my son as a high Amen. value. And my son speaks of something yes. that's very valuable yes. and something that he offers. And if you drink it, you will never thirst again. Come on. Amen. John 4 14 says, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. For the water that I shall give him will become in him fountains of water springing up in everlasting. Yes. See, the water that you drink from the now Egyptians, is limited to the power of the water that I can yes. give. This I can alter. The water that I gave will become like fountains of spring water within you, rivers of everlasting life. This just quenches your thirst for the moment. But the waters that I offer are eternal. Give everlasting life. These plagues are not only symbolic, but literal. Yeah. And some of us have been taught wrong over the years that it's either one or the other. Wow. And that's wrong. They're just as symbolic as they are literal. Symbolic showing the river turning into blood, as we see cleansing of the blood, as we know what blood can do for us, the blood of Yeshua. But also, in a sense, literal, showing God's supremacy over the now God. It's both. But throughout the years we've been taught it's just one. Oh, it's just God showing his power. It's more than that. These are the questions that we've longed for. These are the answers that we need to know. So when somebody asks us, we can answer. Yeah. These plagues in Hebrew are described as a blow or a stroke. In other words, it's as if God were to strike or beat the deity worshipped by the Egyptians. Mm. Yes. Praise the Lord. When you look at these plagues, they are referenced as a blow or a strike. All of them. They all either bring a blow or a strike towards a god of Egypt. Every single one of them. Except the tenth that brings the judgment and wrath of God. That is the one that actually brings death, that brings destruction. There's plenty of warnings. You guys didn't heed the other nine. Then I have to do what I need to do. But God is so merciful that He tells those that believe this is what you need to do. You need to paint your doorposts with blood. Come on. So when the angel of death comes over, mm -hmm. he will pass. Over, Amen. you will pay sock over your house. Yes. Mm -hmm. Therefore, your firstborns will live and not die. We'll get to those later on. Now, we're almost done with the first part of this three week series. And we're going to read the last verses. Go back to Exodus for me. Exodus 7, verse 22 through 25. It says, then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's hearts grew hard. 
Again, a duplicated. And he did not heed them as the Lord has said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Couldn't take a shower. <laughs> oh, but he missed the greatest shower of all. Amen. <laughs> Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug around the river for water and drink, because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. Of course, when God brings forth this miracle, Satan couldn't stand behind with his arms crossed. So what does he do? He duplicates it. He duplicates what God just brought forth on a smaller scale by turning water into blood as well. Study shows that during this time, there was a red-like substance that would grow on the bottom of the Nile or somewhere around that in certain times of the season it will they will come up and it would look like there was blood or some red light substance. Kind of like what we see today as the red tide. You guys see it? Especially on the West Coast where we live. It's, it's certain times of the year it gets pretty bad. And what does it do? It creates this red light substance and it kills everything. It kills all living organisms and everything in the water. This is what the sorcerers stirred up. This wasn't a miracle. God created a miracle at an instant. Spoke a word, struck the water, the water turned to blood. What these sorcerers, or these magicians did was stir up because it was the time of the year for that red light substance to come up. That's what the enemy used to copy or duplicate what God had brought forth. But see, the real miracle wouldn't have been that. If the enemy wanted to do a real miracle, what he should have done was turn the water back from blood into water. Come on. But since he's limited into the power that he can do, he couldn't do that. He had to manipulate or deceive Pharaoh and the rest of the people that were around there by doing something like what God had created. And all he did was just stir up. That's what he does in our lives. He stirs up deception. Come on. Deceives us. And through this, we reject the, the blessings of God. It's all marrow stirring up in our lives. Some of us just need a little bit of stirring up and we go crazy. Go crazy. Where's God? Oh my God. Just like they pinched a little bit. Again, through deception, people were fooled. Sorcerers duplicated what Moses did through deception. There was no miracle there. There was something that was already there. You know that the enemy, the enemy uses deception, but deception is done through things that are already there. Mm, come on. Yes. He cannot create something new. Yes. He has to use something existing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we fall for it. Yeah. You've been seeing the problem, and through, through that problem, he deceives you to believe something contrary to what God is telling you, and you're like, oh my God, I've never seen it this way. <laughs> it's been in front of your eyes the whole time. That's right. Deception. 
And through that deception, we reject God. Mm -hmm. I've never seen it this way. Oh my God, it must be something new. No. He can't create anything new. It's always been there. Because God allowed it to be there. God allowed it to be there. He wanted to see who you would trust and obey. Again, free will. This is the reason why free will exists. And he allows the enemy to come in and says, okay, try to deceive them. Let's put them to the test. Yet so many of us fail that test. Again, the real miracle would have been turning the blood of the now back into drinking water. But the enemy is limited in his power and can only try at best to duplicate. Never the opposite. The enemy can only create supernatural destruction. That's it. Destruction. Never a true miracle. Deception is not a miracle, guys. Sorry to tell you that. Some of us are like the Egyptians. We hold deception at a high value, thinking it's a miracle. It's not. Don't be fooled. Don't be like the Egyptians. It is simply a copycat with flaws because it's never perfect. Only the miracles of God are perfect. Amen. 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 Yet people continue to fall time and time again. Yet Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. He took another opportunity to reject and dishonor God because of the deception created by the sorcerer. And I'm going to finish with this question to you this morning. How much longer will we allow our hearts to be hardened towards God or possibly even reject God because of the deception of the enemy? Think about that for a second. How much longer will we allow our hearts to be hardened towards God or possibly even reject God because of the deception of the enemy? But while you think of that, I'm going to read you some scripture. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Think about what I just asked you. And look what scripture says. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. If God gives us a new heart and removes the heart that we might have had previously in the past, how do we allow a new heart given by God to be corrupted by deception? How do we allow a new heart given to us by our Creator, by our Savior, to be corrupted and filled with lies. Even get to a point where the heart that He's given us is filled with rejection to the one that gave it to us. Let's go ahead and stand, please.